Hello and welcome to episode 118 of the Rollo and Slappy Show. Today is September 28th, 2020. I am Rollo McFlugel and with me is my co-host Slappy Jones. Show notes page for this episode will be mcflugel.com slash 218. Make sure you check out our sponsor there, libertymugs.com. Just go out and buy a bunch of mugs and stuff. It's uh, pretty sweet. So, uh, I'm going to have Slappy introduce our guest who's been on the show before. Yeah. We're going to talk about Very something guessed. maybe a little bit different this time. We're going to talk about, what are we talking about? Quantum computing in the Priestley class with our friend Buck. Welcome back to the show, Buck. Hey, thanks. Yeah, so this was a topic, I guess, I, again, this has happened before on this show where I'm kind of out of it because I, I know how to turn on a computer. Uh, past that, I don't know a whole lot. So I didn't even know quantum computing was a real thing until like talking to you guys. So, uh, why don't Rala, we're talking about mining Bitcoin with quantum computers and how that can mess up, uh, Bitcoin potentially, not necessarily mining. Well, it could be mining, but also just for cracking private keys, but just so it's clear, uh, these are two separate topics, quantum computing and the pre-suite class. Uh, after yeah. our episode a few weeks ago. <laughs> I did know that much. Yeah. Quantum computing will be the new priests. Uh, yes. <laughs> but uh, a few weeks ago, I guess it was two episodes ago, we talked about how, you know, attacks from, uh, you know, the electrical grid or quantum computing uh, and their relation, the yeah, how in their relation to Bitcoin and, and why I was make we were making the arguments that it's not really something to necessarily worry about in the sense that it would be some sort of unstoppable catastrophic failure of Bitcoin. Um, and Buck uh, listened to it. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say also just to, for some credibility here, Buck is a tech entrepreneur, uh, so you know he's in in that space. He knows a lot about this. Although, who finished higher in high school, Buck? Who ranked higher? In the high school class, okay. uh, we went to high school. Really right? weird for you to talk about high school. Well, see, like, it's where I, it's where I peaked. Where you? It is where you peaked. Yeah, I agree with that. <laughs> <laughs> I feel yeah, so uh, bad about being number ten. Yes, you should. What were you like? Three, you nerd. It's funny that you would remember my exact ranking. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I studied everybody uh, that was were, in front of me. Yeah. Who were you dumber than? Well, I was uh, another guy Rollo. that went to my grade school, and okay. then so you weren't even the smartest in your grade school. <laughs> no, no, I I was not. <laughs> Although I actually I beat the uh, I beat him in grade school though, the guy who beat me in high school. What the uh, the top top male student, and uh, when he graduated, my my grade school did the uh, top male and top female students. When you graduate, so you were second. You were second overall then, or were there two girls that beat you? <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I. Uh, I'm cringing that the fact that I even brought this up. I um, don't want to actually talk about my. Yes, keep talking accolade, about it. My grade, my grade school accolade. <laughs> <laughs> this reflects. This reflects way worse on me than it does. <laughs> yeah. I'm, you know, I just should really cut that part out. I think we should release the yearbook pictures. You know, oh, I yeah. just got the yearbook yesterday, and I, and I saw Rallo's um, yearbook, uh, the thing he wrote in my yearbook to me. I was going to send you. What a did I write? Do you remember? I don't remember what I wrote. I don't know if you want to read that out. I don't remember it exactly. The book <laughs> is in the car. I would have to go get it. Oh, you don't remember generally what I said. No, something silly. All right. Well, text it to me afterwards or something. I will. Maybe we'll add it in the show notes or in the tweet announcement. All right. Um, no, I mean, but if if people saw my high school yearbook picture, they will say, well, that is a lie that you peaked in high school because you just, you clearly <laughs> no, just never even had a peak. You just never even had a peak. Just never even had a peak. It's just been low. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> never actually never actually got off the runway <laughs> but um no um but yeah no buck, buck is uh, is um kind of really this is i think a good wheelhouse for you to talk about because i 
only kind of could scratch the surface of what I was talking about with the quantum computing stuff. And really a lot of the technical stuff of Bitcoin, I kind of just know enough of the fundamentals to make me dangerous, but this is kind of, this is kind of your realm. So, uh, why don't you steer the ship for, for a minute, as long as you need to kind of critique comment on your thoughts about Bitcoin and quantum computing. Yeah. I, um, I was listening to that episode. Was that two weeks ago? It feels like it was three months ago. Um, I think there were maybe one or two little details in there, but then one bigger thing that I thought is worth mentioning in this whole discussion. Um, and yeah, I'm, I've been in software for like 10 years, uh, software engineer. So this is the one area I can contribute pretty well. A real engineer. That's right. One of real the engineer. real engineers. Yep. Appreciate that. Um, oh yeah. Another little fun before I actually get into that, I, um, I told Rollo, I think we mentioned this on the last, the last time I was on the show that I is giving myself a target of like six months to learn more about Bitcoin than you. Yeah. You're and, supposed uh, to teach me. Yeah. I, I, I did not reach that. I've, <laughs> I, I, I know some of the technical things probably a little bit better at this point, but my goal was to get the uh, programming Bitcoin book by Jimmy song. I mean, I got the book, um, I had a solid two weekends where I was, I was going through it and then I, I haven't touched it in like nine months now. So unfortunately I'm still behind. Okay. Well, I still got time. Your metrics are tired. Your metrics are terrible book. Well, Hey, it was a good metric. It was just a miss. Um, yeah. So yeah, I thought the, um, I don't know what would be most interesting to talk about. I could point out like, so one of the things that I, I noticed that was almost like a minor mistake, but I figured could be interesting to paint a picture of how some of this works is the, um, the difference between hashing um, and, and like your private public key pair. And I think you were talking about payments and needing to break uh, SHA-256. Like if, if quantum computing became a thing, then what would be the risk of it? And you were talking about uh, the risk being, I think, breaking SHA-256, which at the moment, um, there's no known way for quantum computers to break SHA-256. So the hashing is still good. The thing that's... Oh, so they can't... What, that, so I guess, can you take a step back and explain what a quantum computer is, if you can, put it into idiot terms for me to understand because i i assumed it was just kind of a, a way to run to just you know run through cycles or whatever just a way 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 faster um it, it is probably, that at its at its like um most simple concept but but basically what it is um i might get some details wrong but i, I think i've a pretty good understanding of what a what a quantum computer is is um so you know with traditional computing the what we have now um you're familiar with bits so everything on the computer runs in terms of bits everything is either a zero or a one um and bits get composed into bytes bytes are you know eight bits so every operation on your computer every calculation operates on on bits and then they're composed into eight bits as a byte. And the byte is kind of like the smallest unit of operation on a computer. So if you add two numbers, you know, you're operating on a byte and a byte being eight bits means you get up to like 256 values, potential values for one byte. Um, with a quantum computer, um, the idea is like that a, instead of a bit being your, your, like base unit of calculation. Well, I'm kind of contradicting myself. Instead of instead of bits, basically you have uh, what are called qubits, which are quantum bits. And the idea is something like they take advantage of quantum states, which means that I'm going to say something that's technically wrong here, but basically you can have more than just zero or one as your bit value. And that enables you to do a whole bunch more computations 
um, a whole lot more quickly. Like a bit can okay. hold more potential values. Um, is that but, is that like having uh, a couple engines on your tractor to have multiple independent PTOs? I have no, no idea. <laughs> <laughs> Slappy, <laughs> can you can you chime in here? <laughs> we'll just leave it at that. <laughs> um. But at the end of the I'm sorry, day, I had to shoehorn. I had to shoehorn that reference in early. I knew it was coming at some point. Um, at the end of the day, what what matters is that you can compute vastly more um, quickly. And the way that um, this is an area that I know a little bit more about, largely thanks to that programming Bitcoin book. When you get into um, public private key cryptography is based on math things that um, I'm guessing, Rallo, you learned uh, with your degree at some point. Um, things like fields and groups are these mathematical constructs. And then it's all built up around this mathematical field called elliptic curve cryptography, which uses elliptic curves. It's this type of uh, mathematical equation um, that is essentially it makes it really easy to do multiplication, but impossible to do division because the number of um, the amount of operations you have to do to divide in this framework uh, is just astronomical. And a good like analogy is even if you think about um, some basic math operations like you know, even if you think about just simple multiplication and division, um, how much harder it is to divide something than to multiply. You know, if you like do this on paper, you multiply, you kind of go right to left, you carry the one, you figure it out. With division, you have many different steps. If you you kind of try dividing, dividing the first number and then you do a subtraction and then you try to divide again, it's, it's more steps. And it's the same thing with elliptic curve cryptography, just vastly exaggerated and so what quantum, oh I, I never i never thought of it that way or never had it explained that, okay that makes yeah. sense um so with quantum computers the idea is that you can essentially do the division if you have a public key you can do the division much more quickly and you can figure out what somebody's private key is just by having their public key which you can't do with traditional computing because it just takes an astronomically long okay, amount of time. It's not. It's not that it could just kind of like guess the private key, quickly. right? Okay. Yeah, it would like. There's some fancy things I think that you know, basically um, algorithms for doing the division um, more quickly, but it's it's not guessing. Um, gotcha. Okay. Yeah. So this is all public private key cryptography. The whole idea is a private key is this gigantic number. Um, and then there's all this math and a public key is a number that's tied to that private key where essentially you're taking your private key, you're doing multiplication in, you know, with all these mathematical rules, you do the multiplication, you get a result and that's your public key. And it enables you to sign things, which there's another formula where you can plug in your private key and like a value you're trying to sign. It's going to give you a new value. People can confirm that you own the private key because the math works out where you can use the public key to check that only the person who had the private key was able to do this mathematical operation, but you can't use that to get back to the private key. So it's all this like, multiplication that's really hard um to reverse and it and it's such that when you make a very minor change to the input that it changes the output drastically so it's not like yes um you know adding one to it makes the the result have be added by one or some sort of related thing some factor of that it's just it's just completely different uh not predictable yeah, there's this cool graph of elliptic curves and, and what it looks like. And when you plot, you take one of these elliptic uh, fields and you 
you run the numbers like one to 10 through it and the numbers are all over the place. You could, you could never guess where the, the number, the dots on this, which X they correspond to. It could be one is in the top, right? Two is in the, you know, the left middle, they're completely unrelated. So you change it by one and you get a completely different unguessable result. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, quantum computing makes it possible to reverse that, get your private key. Um, and this is important when you're ma- when you're making payments. So payments all work off of public private key cryptography. You, you have the private key. The private key is your wallet. When you send somebody a payment, you are signing something with your private key that essentially says you've transferred this Bitcoin over to someone else's private public key. And so you're, you're basically choosing someone's public key and sending them the Bitcoin, which means that if someone sees this transaction and has the public key where those funds were sent, and then quantum computing becomes a thing, they can crack the public key to get the private key, and now they can spend the Bitcoin. Um, it's a little bit different than hashing, where hashing is at the root of proof of work. Hashing is involved in payments, but not as like a fundamental uh, thing. It's more like a security layer. And hashing is the SHA-256 thing where the whole idea of hashing is you, um, for hashing to work, you don't actually have to have private keys. The whole idea is that there's just a formula you follow to take one input and produce a, a new input that kind of like scrambles up the original input where you can't take the hash and find out what the original input was. It's one way. Um, You take an input, you turn it into a new output where the new output can never be tied back to the original input. And it's, it's computationally intensive to do this. And that's where proof of work comes in and stuff. And um, so it's involved in Bitcoin, but it's not, you know, public private key cryptography is, is really the root of payments in Bitcoin. Uh, okay, I was kind of mashing hashing and public private public private key cryptography together. Yeah, they're related, used often together. Um, hashing is used during payments, but only um, basically when a payment is made, the public key where you sent the funds on the I think like the way it works is that on the on the ledger, the hash of the public key where those funds were sent is what's stored in the blockchain and not the public key itself. Yeah. Isn't that also just save disk space because you can take a lot of inputs, hash it all together and get a pretty unique uh, output so that you don't have to send this massive string of data all over the place. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a, a side effect. I can't say whether or not that was the reason. Um, Right. Right. but, Right. But you're right. Yep. Um, I, I think that one of the reasons might've been security, but I don't, I don't know, but at the very least, that's, that's maybe just like a, uh, positive externality of doing it anyway. Yep. Um, but at the end of the day, the reason all this matters for quantum computing is because one of the aspects of Bitcoin's resilience to quantum computing is that the public key is not is not stored in the blockchain. So you need to know what the public key was at the time of the transaction. Um, because if you don't know what the public key was, then quantum computers won't help you later because you don't have a public key to tie back to the private key. You only have the hash and hash, you know, hashes are not so far. There's no known way to use quantum computers to reverse a hash. It's like a little bit more resilient than public keys in that way. Okay. Yeah, so I, I kind of had that all messed up a little bit. Um, yeah, I think the more interesting thing on all of this stuff... Before you, before you go, it actually makes me feel better. <laughs> yeah. That, that I, was, I, wasn't, uh, I wasn't giving it enough credit. In, in one sense. It, so does it, it makes you feel better about like, um, resilience. To, okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, the only thing that I'm not clear about is I, I believe that the switch to storing the hashes instead of the public keys in the blockchain was um, like it wasn't in Satoshi's implementation. And so a lot of the early original transactions, the public key would be known. Like I would assume that oh yeah, Satoshi's public key is known. So if this ever happened, then all that Bitcoin that's just sitting idle uh, could could potentially be retrieved. Okay. But in the me, like one, uh, uh, yeah, okay. So that's that's when you're saying too, because I, I remember someone said this, but it makes a lot more sense now that if if we ever needed uh, to do some sort of quantum resistant uh, soft, you know, soft work or something or, or upgrade on what we're doing, is that a lot of any any public key that you have exposed in any way, you would need to make sure that you uh, spend it to a new. Uh, made a new transaction with it to spend it to another address that you own so that it's now hidden behind uh, whatever whatever steps that are taken to not have your private key or public key exposed. Yeah, that was that was the next thing I wanted to get to. That's, I think, the more interesting thing with all this because, um, you know, like you're, you're absolutely right what you're talking about in the last episode where people are going to see this coming. Um Crypto breaks to cryptography don't just happen all at once. They're usually, I mean, they're always, you kind of solve one case first and then you gradually over time expand it to be more general. Um, like the example was there is a different hashing algorithm called SHA-1, which um, was kind of a standard for a while. It was um, in use pretty broadly. And then in, in like, I think 2017, Google found the first known collision in, in the SHA-1 hashing. So one of the aspects of hashing is similar to what you were saying earlier, where if you change the inputs a little bit, you get a completely different output. Um, that's true both for public, private key crypt, um, cryptography and for hashing. Um, where if you if you had a private key and you you added one to that private key, you would get a completely different public key. And if you had a value that you're trying to hash and you add one to that, you're going to get a completely different hash result. So hashing is also supposed to be just all over the place, unguessable based on the inputs. Right. And so SHA-1 was another hashing algorithm that was in use and... Google found the first collision, which, you know, there's not really supposed to be collisions. It's possible there can be, theoretically, there can be collisions with SHA-256. They're supposed to be extremely unlikely, like so unlikely that it would never happen. But the fact that they were able to do it was was evidence that SHA-1 was weak and the world moved on and it's not really used anymore. So, but the general case has not been solved. They're not able to like break SHA-1 now. And the same will be true for cryptography and for SHA-256 hashing, where what will happen is somebody will break the first case and then we'll figure out that it's insecure and move on to new things. Or we'll just see that quantum computers are becoming a real thing. They're like starting to have successes in research labs more frequently, uh, you know, like maybe developing more prototypes and presumably the Bitcoin world will move on. But the thing that's unique about Bitcoin is, is what you were just saying, where the funds are all tied to that, to that public key. So whatever we do to fix Bitcoin, like that's the only way, having the private key is the only way to prove you own the Bitcoin and to spend the Bitcoin. Um, and so there's no way around that. You, we can't just release a soft or a hard fork and change that fundamental fact that the, all the Bitcoin that's in existence right now are tied to private keys. And so if we come up with some new way of doing that, you have to transfer transfer things over. And um, yeah, there could be a lot of people that just don't realize this is happening, I think is maybe a concern. Um, you know, I guess it's not really concerning, but once all this goes down, um, if it goes down, 
you could recover a bunch of lost or stolen Bitcoin. So maybe that doesn't really matter. It just makes somebody rich for taking advantage of quantum computers. Um, I would think that probably the like people don't know this is happening or something along those lines would be like the biggest risk. Yeah, it's 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 an interesting question to to kind of ponder. One, it would be if you have someone that really doesn't understand this and be unaware of it. I think these people are very likely to be have Bitcoin on a custodial service, which at that point they will probably do whatever they need to do, and they wouldn't even notice uh, because you're not necessary. A lot of custodian, like an exchange or something, where you just have a claim to Bitcoin then you don't, it's not actually, the Bitcoin's not actually like sitting in a uh, public private key pair that you're the only one that has access to. It's basically your permission by the exchange and they control the private key. So I think in that, in that case, I don't think those people would have to worry. Uh, it might be more for people who, I, I, I'd be, it'd be interesting to know when that change in, in Bitcoin core was made to not have the public key on the bro- on the blockchain. Uh, and at the expense of sounding like I'm contradicting myself from the last episode when we were talking about whether or not Bitcoin can be is is property or not, uh, people who don't make that change or just leave leave that Bitcoin as it is exposed to quantum computing, it would almost be like it's rehomesteading abandoned property. Even though the last episode I made the case you can't own Bitcoin, so. <laughs> <laughs> But, but the good like, news is none of the Bitcoin can be stolen. Yeah, well, and the, yeah, then it's just a mute point. It's not walks in your kitchen and gets your uh, yeah, private. yeah, <laughs> moot, moot, point, moot point anyway because it's it's not <laughs> it's not stealing if you do it. <laughs> no, but but it's it, yeah, it's an interesting kind of at least somewhat uh, parallel situation to how we would uh, how you know a, a property system would work or, or something that's akin to property in the case of, of Bitcoin or treated like property, how we would kind yeah. of reason, reason through that. That's an interesting way of thinking about it. One, one random thing that just came to mind before everybody feels too secure about the blockchain is that your public key is exposed briefly. So it's not completely hidden during a transaction. It's just that somebody needs to kind of see it at the moment it happens. Um, yeah. before the first, I think before the first, um, confirmation maybe is when it goes away but um yeah and the other thing too is you don't know how much of that data you've leaked around to other people because right now it doesn't really matter if they have it so you're not really that careful with it but at some point in the future if someone's been for whatever reason logging that information not even for nefarious purposes just because that's what whatever their software is running is doing that might be a good honeypot for you know someone who a nefarious hacker who now has quantum computing, uh, you know, ability. So, you know, once this starts happening, uh, it'll probably be very clear and obvious that you need to make certain upgrades and, and move your Bitcoin to new private keys that don't expose the public key at all, or at least does it in a way that you can, you can have a lot more confidence that you don't have, uh, you're publicly exposed somewhere, even if it's on a, on a server, not, not exactly, you know, not a server that's not holding the blockchain, just a server where that information got stored. Uh, so maybe if you're, you know, you'd been using cash app or something, I don't know if they kind of store your, your public key in, in their servers when you're making, when you're sending Bitcoin you bought from them or any other exchange, but that would be a situation where it's like, well, <laughs> they would they would be obvious targets for for that kind of thing so yeah you know another thing i just thought of on this i i, I don't know um all the details about it, but it seems to me that another way that you could protect yourself if you were worried about this as an eventuality is once quantum computers become a thing it's not like breaking a public key is is suddenly free or is going to be instantaneous it's just, it's doable within the realm of a lifetime. I don't actually know how fast it would be, but um, yeah, it's, it's not it's not just going to suddenly become instantaneous, which would kind of be another argument amongst many to 
not put too many funds on one private key. And yeah, if you have a lot of money, you know, like something like a coin join might help like distribute it a little bit, break it up amongst many private keys because that way if somebody breaks one of your public keys, um, one of your private keys, then they're not getting access to everything you own. Sure. And, and that said too, it, it goes in line with what you mentioned earlier about Satoshi's original coins that he mined. You know, there's, there's what, like 4 million of them. And I don't know across how many, uh, private keys those are, but I mean, that's, the, that's by far the biggest bounty that's going to be out there. So that's, what's going to be, uh, targeted first. And assuming that Satoshi never had any intention of moving them ever again, um, you know, that if, if they move, you know, it's, so be it. Um, uh, it would kind of be, I would prefer that they never got moved just because of the, it's kind of neat that, you know, he for a cent more or less burned them. <laughs> um, although it might, on the flip side of that, it might help with, uh, because people say like, well, what happened? Not that it's bad that the supply will tend to decrease over time as coins get lost, but it might help, um, you know, bring some of that back into circulation if there's, you know, that's, I don't think neither good nor bad if that happens necessarily. Yeah. Uh, it still has the 21 million cap, but, um, I, it'll, it'll, I don't know, at least provide some incentive for people to be interested in Bitcoin and, 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 you know, these attacks, if we want to call it an attack, but it, it will, at the end of the day, help strengthen it because if people are going after, uh, Satoshi's coins, once those, if they ever figure them out and crack them, then it uh, incentivizes the next the next one. So people are going to want to do a better job of securing them to make sure that they're not next on the list or whatever. So maybe we'll just all see all of the Satoshi Bitcoin move when all of this happens. <laughs> yeah, so I'm saying Satoshi at that will point. Wake up. <laughs> No, oh, yeah, well, that, that's what's funny. We might not know. Was it a, a quantum computing attack or something that did yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, that's it, a like, good point. Depends on if uh, on. I don't know how we would know, but you know, so, let's say there's four million. Let's just say I think there's four million total about. But let's just say that they're broken up into four different private keys, and so there's a million on each one. The getting a million bitcoins would be such an absolute treasure trove for someone and that they would be willing to spend massive amounts of resources um some fraction some large fraction probably of those of the value of, of those bitcoins in order to get them and um if it really takes that much quantum computing power let's say there's a uh, a million dot yeah the million bitcoin and it takes uh, half half a million bitcoins worth of energy to be able to crack that uh, public-private key pair. Um, it's not it's not that it's it's uh half a million to one million ratio, so it's not half half of the value of the bitcoin is what it takes to crack it. It's that it's um it's that it costs half a million Bitcoin to do it. So if you've got even one or two Bitcoins on a private key, which is, which is a lot of money, it's still just totally not worth the effort from the attacker to go after yours, as long as it still is around that half a million uh, Bitcoin cost. And it's, it's going to be, and, and we mentioned this in the last episode, it will be that canary in the coal mine. Uh, Simply because as the technology approaches the point where it is now profitable to uh, attack Satoshi's Bitcoins, that's when they'll do it. And not anything before that, because it's just mm -hmm. not, it's the reward's simply not worth it. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, one other fun bit on all of this um, um, quantum computing stuff. One aspect of it is because quantum computers would be faster, they would be way, f way better at doing hashing. Um, so even if they couldn't break hashes, they could compute them much faster and suddenly take over all of the mining. Um, 
And this was like, I heard somebody talking about, I think this was on the Stefan Levera show where he was talking about this. Like if aliens came down with superior computers and suddenly started mining all the Bitcoin, well, they might get all the Bitcoin, but there's still the number of Bitcoin um, issued with every block is going to be the same because even though they could compute hashes much faster, the difficulty adjustment is just going to make it so that they have to compute a whole lot more every second. Yeah, that's, that's actually a pretty good point. Um, and actually, uh, you know what? We, we might only cover one topic because we're already I was gonna say, are we going to have to go back and edit? <laughs> no, I'm not going to edit it. We'll just save. We'll just do, the, we'll just do a part two. We'll just talk about part. why, why Rallo considers himself part of the priestly class on our next episode. <laughs> yes. Because I think, I actually think the priestly episode topic is one, it's actually related to Bitcoin too, but it's something that I think we will, we can riff on that for, for a while. And I don't want to have to make people yeah, yeah, yeah. a two hour episode, but um, no, I mean, that's you a really deprive good... them of that. No, no, we need to spread, spread the wealth out here. Okay. <laughs> uh, well, we're commies with our, uh, with how we distribute the podcast uh, topics and stuff. Uh, but no, I, th- I think that's a great point to remember that quantum computers will be, um, very useful in mining because it will be much more profitable once quantum computers start to enter the marketplace for them to simply mine than they would be to try to crack, you know, any of Satoshi's coins. So I got a question for you. Where are quantum computers now? Like, are they just being developed? Are they operating? Could someone turn on a quantum computing miner right now? They're, they're very much in like research phase. Um, I think people have been able to do some basic computations on them, but they're, they're not stable enough to do anything complicated. Once one, once they figure it out, I assume they want to make money selling these things. There'll probably be more than one of them out there. Like how long do you think it would take until widespread use of quantum computing for mining? Like how, I, I know that's impossible to say, but do you think like, you know, say you develop it and you're the first one out there doing it. I mean, how long till others do it? Is that even a stupid question or what? I mean, I, my understanding is that the, the current phase of quantum computers is like, so in the prototype research phases gotcha. that, that like people, you know. people expect it to be, I think the, the op, the most optimistic, um, people are for when you can use quantum computers to do a real thing is like 10 years. I'm, okay. I'm guessing more realistically, it's going to be several decades. Gotcha. Yeah. There's a lot of theoretical, uh, technology that we've known about for a while. And I, I'm saying this completely ignorant of quantum computing, but I'm just kind of using other heuristics. Like you look at all these alternative energy sources, mm-hmm. like electric power and, uh, or not electric power, the solar energy. And yeah. When are like, we going to get electricity? Yeah. I'm still waiting for it. <laughs> But like solar solar power and stuff, and um, you know, it's really hasn't really come to fruition yet. And we've we've been theorizing about it for a while. Doesn't mean that that won't ha- you know quantum computing is necessarily that's going to happen. But um, you know, I, I think it at least leaves room for an argument to say like, eh, it may come in a decade. It may take quite a lot more time. Like like you were just saying, Buck. Uh, but still, I mean, the point, the, the major thing to consider is that I don't think it's very reasonable to think that the person who, you know, gets his hand on a bunch of quantum computing power early on, who is a nefarious, a- you know, assuming he's a nefarious actor and wants to, you know, be profitable on running some sort of thing where he's doing something that people consider bad, he's not going to just burn all of his resources away doing something that has a massive cost like trying to crack um crack the public private key pair of satoshi's coins that's the beauty of bitcoin as it is it align it takes people with bad intentions and it forces them to act in the same way that people with good intentions do so they're just going to they're going in in a way to try to you know, extract money out of the Bitcoin network somehow, they're going to just end up adding more computing power because the most profitable thing by far for early on quantum computing is their actual 
quantum computers are actually able to do stuff useful is just to make them miners. And, you know, the like, I think the likelihood that just like one group or one guy who has it and they just like sit there and wait and accumulate it until they have, you know, enough to 51% attack the network, I think is really low. Cause then you look at the game theory behind it and it's like, well, who's going to sit there and wait and, and hope that no one else gets their hands on quantum computing, quantum computers too, and then starts mining Bitcoin at that point, their whole plan to just sit there and release this hash bomb upon the network to do a 51% attack. It just, the game, the game theory doesn't check out. So it's really, it's, it's a new technology. It's different. And it's more powerful, but all the same incentive structures are still aligned hmm. that make Bitcoin what it is now. So it just continues to keep me bullish on <laughs> on the security of the network, no matter you know what kind of gets what what gets thrown at it. Um, Sounds good to me. Yeah. It's, yeah, well, it's it's pretty neat. We were only supposed to spend like I thought, like, yeah, maybe we we'll spend like ten minutes on this. But as as we keep talking, it just keeps shooting out new ideas and and new points that they could bring. That's why this is so neat, man. It's 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 just it's just a a rabbit hole that keeps that keeps going. Yeah, the more I the more I learn, I want to just keep learning more and what's cool is it's getting me into areas that i hadn't delved into before or understood um like i had taken abstract algebra in college i was a math major and i remember um, when you were showing me some of the stuff that you were doing and it just made my eyes bleed (laughs) it did a little bit of that to me at the time too i really wish that in those classes that we had just discussed uh like why people do this if, if somebody had, had gone through an application for cryptography, it would have made a lot more sense what we were doing. And so now I'm actually learning better some of the things that I was I was trying to learn back then. Well, it's what's so funny. I, I, the same thing happened to me in college with learning stuff. And I was doing different things from mechanical engineering. But I remember in like vibrations class or system dynamics, and it was just, I didn't, like I mean, I could do the the calculations and and draw the diagrams and and do you know fine on the tests and everything, but I didn't understand what was going on. It wasn't until I was uh, sitting at my first I was at a conference at my first job and someone was showing some sort of uh, gauge uh, that they were they were showing off. And they had uh, they had a diagram of the face opened up so you could see all the you know the mechanical system in there of how the gauge worked, and I'm looking at it, and all of a sudden I was able to picture a vibrations diagram using like all the syst- the symbols that you would draw, and I was also able to kind of see that as an electrical circuit too because you can you can you can um, treat mechanical systems as an electrical system. They kind of have enough parallels together that you know a, a resistor is and and capacitors work the same way as certain mechanical things uh and it all like i was finally able to have an application for the theoretical stuff i was working working on in college and i was like suddenly this all makes sense and now i understand what the purpose of of doing that stuff is where before it just didn't make sense you just have these things like this is a spring and this is a a damper and I understand what each of those things do, but how they're all working together and, and why they did what they did, it just was like, ah, uh, just taking it for granted. So it's a shame that, that that's not, that I think most people will have the same kind of story. And so those years that you're sitting in a classroom kind of aren't used to the, the best you're not really getting good bang for your buck in there because it's just flying over your head. Yeah, we got a lot of bang for our buck tonight. That's right. Yes, we did. <laughs> I didn't even say that on purpose, but after I said it, I said, you know what? That was pretty good. <laughs> maybe maybe that's why I'll name the episode. <laughs> getting a bang for your quantum computer computing buck. And then 
whatever the next episode is, it'll, it'll have to be something about um, the buck stops here. <laughs> yes. That'll be your sign off. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, um, so, yeah, yeah I was going to say, do we have anything else on quantum computing? Do you want to throw out there? Uh, no, just whatever you throw at Bitcoin just makes it stronger. Yeah. And that's the, I mean, that's, that's, what's really neat about it. There's so many things that when you learn about something and, and you dive deep into it, you start on the surface, you think, oh, this is really cool. It's so great. And as you look into it, you start noticing all the flaws and everything and why it's, uh, it may not really work as I thought it was going to, but man, Bitcoin, I, I've, I'm not going to sit here and say, um, I know everything about Bitcoin because I, it's just so far from it. There are many people that know way more about Bitcoin. And even those people tell you there's way more about Bitcoin than they could ever understand. But the more you dig into Bitcoin, the more you, you start to believe and realize that it's better. Like you start pulling these threads, you don't pull like, mm-hmm. ah, actually, this is something we kind of got to like, here's, build a, up. here's a weakness. Let's look at that. And then you read about it and you're like, ah. Yeah, it's maybe it's not as weak as I thought. It's actually a strength. Yeah, and and that's not to say that there's not room for improvement because there certainly is, and there's certain patches that have to be made. But it's usually just someone makes a mistake in the in in the software and not a flaw of the fundamental, you know, concepts concepts of it. It's uh, those fundamentals are are strong and and just keep getting stronger the more you look into it so yeah i think one of the biggest um moments for me and probably a lot of people in realizing that something that seems like a flaw is a strength is there was the the scaling debate you know two years ago or three years ago and um and then also all of these articles coming out about how much electricity bitcoin uses and uh, people are like, this is this is a disaster. Bitcoin is using up like half the electricity in the world. Um, not that that it was actually half, but the amount the amount of electricity it, it used, and people being worried about it scaling. And you find out that these properties that the way it works is is a is a feature and makes it secure. Um, and once you understand that, I feel like is one of the best lessons on all this in Bitcoin. Well, and two, what we were talking about last week or two weeks ago with the talking about whether or not Bitcoin should be considered property or not, it actually it's better if it's not property because if a state tries to attack Bitcoin users and say, "Hey, we want to, you know, you know, tax your Bitcoin or something or do, or do whatever," if you can make the argument that it's like, "I don't own Bitcoin; it's just." free i'm just it's speech and you have laws protecting free speech it's just my bitcoin is just a string of ran of letters and numbers and you can't tell me what i i can't write them down or or do that there not that that's going to stop a a government but it's at least going to tangle it up in courts for a little bit longer Hmm. and so one that's another one where it's when when you actually go through these these fundamental principles correctly and like you just see how Bitcoin takes these things and just weaponizes it. Uh, so it's just like a, a so beautiful how it all works out. Um, like everything. <laughs> it's really, really hard to find a chink in Bitcoin's armor, even to the even when it comes down to libertarian homesteading of property kind of ideas and whether or not that applies and you know, it was uncomfortable for me to kind of admit to myself that, yeah, I don't actually think that you can claim Bitcoin as property, but it, it, it's better. It's better that you can't. Hmm. So. All right, Buck, we'll put you on the spot. Unless you had anything more to say or Slappy had anything more to say about quantum computing, but uh, free market. Free market. Yeah. Uh, I get put yeah. on the spot for this. Um, yeah, of course you do. You know, a good guest would have thought about this sort of thing ahead of time. But we don't have a good guest. Well, a good guest would have actually been libertarian and not a status and would have a free market. Can we do a status um, success story? Success story. <laughs> sure. <laughs> um, the public schools 
<laughs> are a, a beacon of democracy. Yeah. Oh, you know what? Here's a here's a good. Maybe you'll accept this as a free market success story. Um, my church, uh, where I go to mass, I like Rollo and Slappy and Catholic. I, uh, I, I was going to the traditional Latin mass before it was cool. And, um, <laughs> my church for me has been one of the few places where there's normalcy. Like you go in and people are not, um, not like obsessed with wearing masks. Um, you know, you can still, unlike many other Catholic churches around, you can just receive communion as you used to. Um, so it's not exactly maybe the normal free market success story, but I'm, I'm very pleased that that's my like one place of normalcy and all of the madness going on these days. Yeah. And if there's any regulators listening, they do wear masks. Do <laughs> in the way. That's right. Yeah, they follow. Uh, no, I had that experience this past weekend, and it was very refreshing. Whenever you get those moments when you're like, it's like some alternate universe where people are people, and it's weird and it's refreshing, and uh, you want more of it. And uh, so, yeah, I think that's a a good story. Yeah, I like it. All righty, um, I think that that about wraps it up uh show notes page is mcflugel mcflugel.com slash 218 if you want to listen to buck's previous episode he was on that will be in the show notes page it will be mcflugel.com slash 178 for episode 178 but uh buck do you have any place that you want to uh do you want to do you have any shout outs or or plugs you want to do if you want to tell people yeah (laughs) Uh, tell people where they, if, if you want people to find you, my, my only plug is, is, you know, get out there and rock the vote. Um, I'm definitely editing this. <laughs> <laughs> no, I got nothing. Okay, good. Because, uh, we were going to edit it out anyway. Yeah, it's not. We're not. <laughs> we don't want to lose listeners and and people by sending them to a disaster. So. <laughs> All righty. Well, Buck, you're obviously going to be on soon to talk about uh, thoughts about how society views the priest class, because I think that uh, people get it, especially in the Bitcoin and libertarian world, they kind of get it halfway right, the first half right. And then mess up the second half, or maybe they get the second half right and mess up the. I don't know, but uh, I think it'd be a really interesting discussion that I think people will appreciate. And selfishly, I will have fun doing it. And at the end of the day, that's all I really care about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sounds fun. So, all right, uh, be on the lookout for that. I don't know what we're going to do because we've got some other people lined up in the next few weeks. But um, I'm around. I don't know. All right, cool. All right, everyone. Thanks for listening. We will catch you next week. Peace.